Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He is in control. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, good afternoon, Epiphany. Oh, come on. Y'all can do better than that. It's the afternoon. I can see if this is the morning. This is the afternoon. You guys have already had coffee, tea, or whatever that looks like for you in the morning. Good afternoon, Epiphany. That's better. That's better. Well, it is awesome to be here today. And for you first-time visitors, welcome, welcome, welcome. want to shout you out and just say, Thank you for joining us and hanging out with us this morning, this afternoon, excuse me. Um, you could be anywhere else. Listen, it was cold this morning. You know, when I got up here at the 930 service, I was still trying to defrost my hands. And so I know it's been cold out there. And so it's so good to see you out here. Those are in the overflow. Welcome. Welcome. I know it's not easy being in overflow space. I've, I've been there. I know what that feels like. And so... Um, Welcome. And I don't want to forget about those who are joining us online. You are welcome as well. Hopefully one day we'll see you here. But if you're doing it online, we welcome you. If it's because of distance or whatever that might be, we want to welcome you as well. And so it is always an honor to be here. And and as I always say, we have to always continue to lift up our lead pastor, right? Pastor Brandon and Pastor B, as we call him, and, and Ty, because You never know what the challenges they're dealing with, right? And so I say that because as a church grows, and we're seeing some growth, right? As a church grows, brings new challenges. And so continue to keep them in prayer. Continue to keep Pastor Caleb in prayer. Um, I always tell them, don't let people despise your youth, um, as Paul told Timothy. And so continue to keep them and their families in prayer. Um, And so it's an honor to be here. My name is Craig Holiday, Pastor Craig, uh, most people call me, um, but I just want to share today because it's awesome. You know, we get to see Baptismal Sunday. Let's give it up, all the baptismal candidates, because that's their outward expression of something that's taking place internally. That's their outward expression of something taking place internally, and, and what I share at the 930 service was this. There was a young lady that got baptized named Summer. And it caught me by surprise because I walked in, walked right by her, didn't see her. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to stay focused and asking God to give me what to say. But then when she gets in the pool and Yolanda mentions her name, I nudge my wife, who's not here right now, VJ. Um, I said, I was just running with her yesterday. You can't make this up. Here she is today, this morning, she was being baptized, and her and I met for the first time yesterday, running, right? She joined the run group that I run with. Some of you know, some of you may not know, but I run marathons. And so she, and so she joined my run group yesterday morning, and as we were running, she told me this would be her first time running a half marathon. And so I was just giving her pointers and she said, what's your name? I said, Craig, since my name is Summer. Now everyone's not named Summer. So that that name sticks with you. And so when I saw her get up there, I go, that's her. 
And my wife is like, what, what, what's going on? I said, no, she was, she was running with us yesterday. And so I encouraged her. I said, man, it's so good to see you here. And so God is doing something. He's up to something. You know, Pastor B and I were talking the other day. And last week, he was telling me how he was going to be sharing from Acts 20. And I shared with him that I was going to be sharing from Acts 17. And we agree that God is definitely up to something. So before I get into what I'm going to share, let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for the rising of the sun. We thank you for that cold blast of air that you've allowed us to experience today, oh God. Because that just tells us, Lord, that you've given us another day that we might live for you. And so, God, I just pray that you would take my couple of fishes and my few loaves, that you would bless it, break it, multiply it, oh God, so that the words that I say, Lord, will be edifying to your people, oh God. Hide your servant behind your cross, oh God, so that everything that's said and done, Lord, will bring you glory and honor. In Jesus the Christ's name we pray. Amen. And so when I was talking with Pastor B the other day, I was saying with him, I asked him, I said, so Pastor B, how did you come up with the mission statement for Epiphany? I'm just curious because I want to share on something and I think it's important since it's the beginning of the year. And he said, well, you know, I was sitting in a coffee shop back in 2014. Um, I didn't have a computer, didn't have an iPad or anything. I just had my notebook. But I know as I started developing the mission statement, I wanted it to be about Jesus. And so if you don't know Epiphany's mission statement, it is we exist to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. And so Jesus has a mission. And the thing I want to talk to you today about is, are you on mission? Are you on mission? Because we didn't just get saved just to be saved and circle the wagons with it as a church and do nothing. But we know that there's a lost and dying world outside these doors. And so I want to share about us being on mission. And I think one of the good stories here is the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17. And so where we get there, where I'm going to read from is, First, Paul is ran out of Thessalonica. Then he goes to Berea. He's ran out of there, and he finds himself in Athens. And so I'll pick up my reading from Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 34. And so it says this in Acts 17, starting with verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he's waiting for Silas and Timothy, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshiped God, as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. Some said, who is this ignorant show-off trying to say, uh, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? Others replied, he seems to be a preacher of some foreign dignity. Because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection, they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and said, may we learn about this new teaching you are presenting because what you say sounds strange to us and we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there 
spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. I I just want to pause there for a second because the audience Paul is talking to is the Epicureans, right? And they were existentialists. In other words, they were folks who weren't reasoning why life was. They were trying to find the reasoning for life through pleasure, through pleasure and crazy living, right? That's, that's what they're thinking. They were thinking that they would find the meaning of life through pleasure. And the reason I say that is because don't we know a couple of existentialists? Folks who try to find reasoning for life through pleasure, through living these lives that are lost, chasing after things in this culture that will never satisfy the hole that God has placed in us that only he can fill. And some of us right now are still in that space. I always say that salvation is the gift, but sanctification is the process. And right, and so sometimes some of us will find ourselves chasing after the things of this world, of this culture, not realizing that only God can fill that hole, that void that you're chasing after. And so these were the Epicureans. Now, the Stoics, they swung the pendulum all the way the other way. Why? Because they were pantheistic. They were really into theology and, and studying and, and really uh, making sure that they were philosophers. And isn't it interesting that our dear brother Luke said that the Athenians were actually sitting around telling or hearing something new? <laughs> that would give me a headache if I sat around all day trying to figure out what's new out there, what's going on out there, right? Trying to keep up with those things and thinking that is the meaning of life. And so we all know people like that. They want to chase after the new thing, what's happening out there. And so we have to always be on mission and be sensitive to what God is doing in our lives and through our lives so that we can be available to be able to speak to a dying world. But he goes on and says this in verse 17. I mean, uh, chapter 17, verse 22, it says, Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by hands, neither as he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man, he has made everything, every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him. Though he is not from far, he is not far, excuse me, from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Since then, we are God's offspring. We shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. Therefore, Having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day 
when he is going to judge the world and righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard this, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him. But others said, we'd like to hear from you again about this. However, some people joined him and believed, including Dionysus, the Arapagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with him. As you read that, as you think about that, as you meditate on that, Paul was on mission. He just got ran out of Thessalonica. He's in Berea. He gets run out of there. Now he's in Athens. He's walking around. Paul is on mission. And here's a couple of things that I noticed about Paul being always on mission. One thing is this. Paul had a love for the lost. Paul had a tremendous love for the lost because as he looks around, he sees a bunch of people who are lost. Listen to what it says in verse 16, 17. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. In other words, Paul was, his spirit was vexed as he walked around looking at all these idols, people worshiping idols. And, you know, we read that and we say idols because we think sometimes of things that were made by man's hand. But how many of us know that people have idols sitting on their hearts? It's not about something that was made by hand. It's something that is sitting on their hearts. One of the historians said that there was more gods in Athens than there were men. So these people worship all types of goddess and everything else. And so the thing was, Paul was on mission. And Paul sees this and it grieves his heart. And the reason I say that is because don't we know people who are chasing after idols? Don't forget, some of us were chasing after idols. Some of us are still chasing after idols. Some of us still have idols sitting on our hearts. And we have to be mindful of this because the thing is, is that we can have an idol of people. We can esteem people so high that we give them more credence than we give God. That's an idol. That's an idol. Sometimes we chase after success. You know, I was corrected after the service by my spiritual niece. Uh, she said, no, we don't call it the gram. We call it IG. <laughs> I said, okay, I, I received correction. I'm not too old that I can't receive correction. But here's the thing. Some of us spend more time on the IG than we do in our Bibles. You're laughing at that, but that's sad. That's a sad commentary. When you think that you're spending more time chasing IG, seeing what's out there, what other people are doing, and they're posting stuff that's not even a reality. Because most of the people that I know that have posted stuff on IG, that I know personally, their lives are in a wreck. But what they project on the screen, you would think they had it all together. I've been there. I've done that. I've seen that firsthand. As being a pastor, seeing people post stuff on IG, and then you go, hold on, now why are you in my office? Please take that off IG. Please. Chasing success. Wanted to, want to be the next influencer. That becomes so much more important. And we have to be mindful of that. And we know people out there that's doing that. 
But we have to be on mission to be able to tell them that God loves them. And they're already successful when they find Christ in their lives. We know people who've tried to find success in the material things. You know, when I was in the business world, one of the things that they would always say is, he who has the most toys when he dies has won. And that troubled me because I've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. So no matter how much material gain I get here, I'm going to leave it for somebody. I'm going to leave it for somebody. So if if my whole purpose in life is to gain material stuff, then who is it for? I like what Tim Keller said, the late Tim Keller. He says this about idols. He says, an idol is anything that is more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you only what God can give. Anything that is so central and essential to your life, should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. (laughs) How many people we know that we come in contact with on a daily basis have idols in their lives? How many of us, if we're brutally honest with ourselves? Because what I've come to find out, starting with the guy who's talking to you, Sometimes we'll give ourselves a pass on stuff we wouldn't give other people a pass on. So we have to examine our own hearts. You know, I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, no, 12. He says, examine yourselves. He's talking about before you take the offering, examine yourself. We have to examine ourselves to make sure we're on mission, that we can be used by God. But here's the second thing that I find out about Paul. Paul met people where they were. <laughs> he, he took the model of Jesus. He met people where they were. Listen to what, Paul, what it says. Our dear brother Luke, Luke writes about Paul. He says, Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim. In other words, these guys had so many gods in Athens that just in case they might have missed one, they came up with one that said unknown because they didn't want to upset any other gods. So they wanted to be in right standing. So an unknown God, that just, that's scary because now you're worshiping something you don't even know about. And how many of us do that? How many people we know do that? I'm always blown away when I hear someone say to me as I'm talking to them, I go, and they say to me, I don't believe in God. And then I say to them, so what do you believe in? I don't believe in anything. Well, you have to believe in something not to believe in something else. That's just logical. So whatever you believe in, that's what's driving how you operate in life. But you just want to categorize it as unknown because you're following something. And whatever that thing is you're following, we have to be mindful of that. And we have people in our lives. We have family members. 
We have friends, we have colleagues that we know that are chasing after unknown gods. They have idols on their hearts. And the challenge for all of us is to be on mission. Paul was very, very interested in meeting people where they are. I think, for me, one of the greatest evangelistic stories is Jesus with the woman at the well. Because Jesus speaks to this woman, asks for her husband. She tells him, I don't have a husband. Then Jesus begins to get into this dialogue with her, and she's caught up in all the historical religious things that has been going on. And Jesus says, hey, there's going to come a moment when everyone who worships will have to worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, yeah, there's the truth, which is God's word you're going to have to worship to, but then there's the spirit of God that's going to be within us, right? And so he speaks to us in such a way, loving, kind, and, and encouraging way, that not only does it convict her, but now she wants to go back to her entire town and say, hey, listen, I just met a man that told me everything about myself. You guys need to come see him. That's a scary proposition because everyone in her town know what type of woman she was. But the impact that Jesus had on her life, and that's the way we should be. Meet people right where they are. Watchman Nee, if you can put that quote up, Watchman Nee, who wrote a great book um, called The Character of God's Workman. In this book, he said, the character of God's workman has the ability to hear what's not being said. The ability to hear what's not being said. Because a lot of times what happens is when we're trying to be on mission and we're trying to engage people, we're not listening. There's two ways of listening. One of my friends once told me, he said, Craig, you can either listen to respond or you can listen to understand. And what you want to do is always listen to understand, because when you listen to understand, then you can meet people right where they're at. I love what James says in first, uh, James 1. He says, be eager to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get upset. So when you're on mission, it's not about you bantering and getting your point across all the time. It's really about stopping sometimes and saying, let me see where this person is coming from. What's troubling them? What the real anger is? Where is it coming from? And all of us have suffered some level of trauma in our lives. And so when you listen and you're open to that, you can begin to speak and let them know God loves you. You can give them that. You can speak to them to that. And so I love that because not only does Paul meet them right where they're at, and he talks about this unknown God Here's the four things. He gives them four truths about this God he's been speaking about. He gives them four truths, right? And I've been around a lot of evangelistic ministry. I've led street ministry. If you've ever did evangelism, uh, street evangelism, that is some tough stuff. That is not easy. It can be challenging. But we all are called to be an evangelist because that is the Great Commission, and so whatever space you're in, everyone is not going to be a street evangelist. Everyone's not going to be an open-air preacher. You know those folks that get on the train early in the morning? Uh, you guys know. I, I, I sometimes cringe because their message is fire and brimstone. And at 7 in the morning, 
I know people on the train don't want to hear about fire and brimstone. What about the love of God? What about meeting people right where they're at instead of doing the fire and brimstone speech? They all know they're going to hell. What do they need you to remind them for? They don't need you to remind They want you to tell them something different. They want you to tell them something different. And so that I cringe sometimes. I say, oh, Lord, they didn't just say that. Here's the four truths he gives about God. And as a sake of time, I'm going to run through these. He says, first of all, God is a creator. He says he's a creator. Listen to what he says in verse 24. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by hands. He's made everything. He's the creator. He's the creator of God. He spoke everything into existence. And so he's a creative God. Paul presents him as a creative God. If you want to encourage someone, if you want to be on mission, when you engage, you listen to let people know that, no, the God you serve is very creative. And sometimes you need to just let people know, listen, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. God knew you when you were knitted in your mother's womb. And so let me tell you something. You are God's Picasso. You're not a mistake. I don't care what your parents told you. I don't care what your family members told you. You are not a mistake. God created you for a purpose. He has a mission for you. Sometimes some people just need to hear that. You're not giving them a sermon. You're not throwing uh, all types of stuff at them. You're just saying, no, God loves you. He didn't make you by mistake. How do I know that? Well, I've listened to what they've said, and I found out some of the challenges they're facing and what they're wrestling with. He also lets them know that God is a provider. In verse 25, he says, Neither is he served by human hands as though he need anything. Since he himself gives everyone life and breath in all things. God provides everything. All he asks for us to be is obedience. So some people need to understand that he's a provider. He provides for you. And sometimes I know, let's, let's, let's just bring it here in, in the room, because, well, online as well, but sometimes I know we go through hard times. But here's the thing I want to always challenge us with. No matter what valley you find yourself in, I want you to do what David did. Stop, sit, and reflect on what he's done in the past. Because where you are right now, he got you there somehow, and he's going to get you to the next point. And so we got to recognize that. When we have our valley experiences, he's going to get us to the mountaintop. And then sometimes you might go back down into the valley, depending on what it is. But it's, he's using it as a tool, an opportunity to draw us nearer to him. He's a ruler. Paul positions him as a ruler. His four points, right? He says he's a ruler for one man. He has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined the appointed time and the boundaries where they live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us, God is the ruler. He's the ultimate ruler. He's created boundaries. You know, I always say, when 
I have to preside over a funeral is that what are you doing with the dash in your life? Why? Because we all have a start date, which is our birth date, right? And then God appoints us a, a period of time to be here on earth. But let's just be real. One day, we're going to transition into eternity. And so what are you doing while you are here in that middle of that dash? What are you doing for the kingdom? Are you being kingdom-minded? Are you on mission? Are you out there being who God has called you to be out there in a dying world? Because you were once there. You were once there. I shared this in the earlier service. I said, you know, it was interesting when um, once I was doing a meeting and it was a men's meeting and we were doing a men's event and it was going to start at nine o'clock. So I had to have all my leaders be there at 6 a.m. in the morning. I know. Don't say it. I'm a hard taskmaster. No, because they were getting there at 6 a.m. I was getting there at 530 because I was going to beat them there and begin to walk through the building and pray for every guy that came into that building. But long and short of it, when they came in, as they were on their way, because some of them carpooled, they were like, hey, yeah, we're driving past this club, and we saw people coming out, and I can't believe people were coming out the club at 5.30 in the morning. And I looked at them, and I went, you used to be one of those people. What, what are you talking about? We, we all know what that... So if someone gave us the gospel message... Why aren't we giving others the gospel message? Why aren't we being there on mission? I know in talking with Pastor B, one of the things he always talks about is us being a church that's going out to the community. We don't want to be a church that circles the wagon, just be happy with everyone that's in the building. We know that there's more souls out there to be one for the kingdom. And we have to be kingdom-minded and be about God's business because he's given us the great commission when I read the Bible, before he goes up in Acts 1, before he goes, he goes, go into the earth and make disciple of men. So, and I'm not knocking any denomination, but he didn't say go make Lutherans. He didn't go say make Pentecostals. He didn't go say make Presbyterians, Anglicans. He said, go make disciples. In other words, he said, make followers of me. That's our mission. And no matter where you are, what your vocation is, that's the challenge that we have. Yeah, there's tension. So I don't mean going into your business, whatever you do, and start quoting the Bible. Because some people you encounter is not going to know the Bible. I remember one time, one guy told me he went to work and, you know, he, he goes in, he's talking with a co-worker that's not even a believer. He goes, yeah, the devil has been busy. I went, well, what, what did the co-worker say? He looked at me like I was crazy. I said, I would have looked at you as well, even though I'm a believer. But this guy knows nothing about what you're talking about. So you're speaking foreign to him. Whatever space God has you in, whether you're an attorney, a doctor, law enforcement, whatever that might be, education, that is your mission field. You need to be on mission. I've been fortunate enough to do over 12 short-term mission, mission trips. And what that means is, is that, you know, I'll leave the home and go to a foreign country for two weeks and do medical clinics, spiritual clinics, and everything else. My wife will never do that. <laughs> and she, I know she won't because I've told her the places I've gone and the places I've stayed, 
And if it doesn't have a spa, VJ's not going. She's not that girl. She's not that woman. She's not going unless there's a spa. Me, I'm that guy. I'll go. And I remember my first mission trip, we were going to a country where they just tried to assassinate the president two weeks before. And so in our final prep, we were talking about it. And one of the things we were saying to all the volunteers, we were taking about 25 people. One of the things we said is when we get over there, we're going to hit checkpoints because they're now looking for these folks who have tried to assassinate their president. And when we get to these checkpoints, look no one in the eye. Don't look at any of the soldiers or anything. Keep your eyes buried in the bottom of the truck, the van, whatever you're in, or look at each other. Don't look at them. Why? Because they will look for any excuse to detain us and try to get money from us. That's me. I enjoy doing that stuff, but that's not for everyone else. Wherever you are, that might be your mission field. And so you have to be mindful of that. God has a mission for you. And then he says this. He, he presents Jesus as a savior. He presents Jesus as a savior. He says in verse 30, he says, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance. So we can't plead ignorance anymore. I've already told you about this unknown God that you talked about. He said, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man, Jesus. He has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. There's where most people have a challenge. When you start talking about Jesus being resurrected, there's a challenge because they want to see Jesus as just another man, another prophet. And they don't want to accept the fact that he's no longer in the tomb. They, they don't want to accept that. But Paul presents that to them. He says, no, he has risen. My third point is this about Paul. He had a love for the people. He met them where they were. But here's the other thing that I think a lot of us need to, to be mindful of. We can't be overly concerned how people are going to treat us afterwards. Because Paul wasn't concerned. He's talking to these philosophers, these thinkers and everything else. And he's going through this and he tells them the gospel. And listen to what it says in verse 32 through 34. It says, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him. But others said, we'd like to hear from him, from you again about this. So Paul left their presence. However, some people joined him. And believe, including Darius the Epagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Paul shares the gospel, and some mocked him. Here's the one thing I've come to find out: wherever you are, and people begin to find out that you're a believer, when they hit a crisis. You're the first person they'll call to pray for them. You ever find that out? People that won't even give you the time of day. But because they know, hold on, uh, you know, this sister prays. She believes in this God. And I've seen stuff happen in her life. And not only is she talking to talk, she's walking to walk. 
And they'll pull you off to the side and say, hey, can you pray for me? This is what I'm going through. I just got diagnosed with cancer. My marriage is on the brinks, and I'm not sure what's going on. I had a friend who would always say, I have a friend, let me say not had. He's still a friend. He hasn't passed on and gone to uh, transit. But he would always say that when people who never gave him the time of day would ask him to pray, he would pray the gospel in his prayer, but also pray for their need, but pray that they would accept the gospel message as he prayed. And so sometimes it's just praying the gospel message. Listen, the reason I'm saying that we need to be on mission, because if our mission says, if our mission as a church says that we are, exist to join God, Jesus, in his mission to redeem our city, the old saying is this, what's written on the walls has to be happening down the hall. So we have to be operating that way. We have to be on mission because of the Great Commission. We have to. We have to be those people. Some wanted to talk later on. Some said, hey, you know what? We'd like to hear from you again. You got us thinking. And then some joined and said, hey, you, I, hey listen, leave me in the sinner's prayer. That's Craig's version. Leave me in the sinner's prayer. And so you'll have that, those people. And I love that because Paul wasn't concerned about how they would receive the message, even though he wanted them to receive it. He wasn't concerned about how they were going to respond to him. He just wanted to give them the message. He wanted to make sure they got the message of Jesus Christ. I love what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, and, I, and I'll paraphrase it just for a matter of time. He says this. He goes, some plant seeds, some water, but God gets the increase. So you never know how you're engaging someone that you're planting a seed. <laughs> or you might be watering something that was already planted there because someone else came along before you and still planted the seed. Now you're watering it. You're just watering it by your life and what you're saying and everything else. How many of you know in here, you don't have to raise your hand, but you can speak the Bible without quoting scripture. I speak to people all the time, and I'll throw a psalm in there, but I'm not saying, hey, Psalm 119 verse 10 says this. <laughs> I just quote the psalm in modern-day language. Or a proverb about how we speak, engage people. And so it's important that we be on mission. Matthias, you can play. I'm going I'm to I'm land the plane here. I want to be conscious of time. In the early morning hours of April 14th, 1912, the Titanic collided with an iceberg in the North Atlantic Ocean four days into her maiden voyage from Southampton, Southampton to New York City. It officially sank on April 15th. Of the approximately 2,200 passengers and crew members, 1,500 people perished when the ship sank. That's, that's, not, that's tragic, but here's another part of the tragedy. 
Due to poor preparation for and management of the evacu evacuation, many of the lifeboats were launched half full. As the ship sank and the crew called for the lifeboats to return for more passengers, only one responded. As the others looked on in horror, only one return, lifeboat returned, and the others refused to come back. These lifeboats were made in such a way that you can get anywhere from 40 to 50 people, and these lifeboats were being launched with about 20 people on it. So that means that they had the capacity of at least another 25 to 30 people to get on this lifeboat. Our culture is a Titanic and it is sinking. Our world is a Titanic and it is sinking. And the challenge for you and I if we're going to be on mission is to show them who the real lifeboat is. That's Jesus. We all have family members that we know are sinking. We have friends. We have acquaintances. We have neighbors who we know are sinking. And we're just being like those who were on that lifeboat that knew they had more capacity for people to get on, but sat there and watched as the ship sank. I don't want to be that guy. I do not want to be that guy because I'm mindful that one day I'm going to have to give an account of what I did with my time, my talents, my treasures, and my relationships. And the Bible says, if I read it right in Revelations, the one with eyes of fire. We're all going to stand before. And so if we've just been circling the wagons, we're going to have to give an account. And if he has eyes of fire, whatever excuse, explanation, whatever uh, 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 intellectual gymnastics you can play with yourself, it's not going to work with him. Because he's going to burn through all those excuses and say, what did you do? What did you do with the time I gave you? That dash you had. Now you're standing before me. No, I don't want to hear that. What did you do with the talents I gave you that you could have used for me? What did you do with the treasures that I gave you? Those relationships that I allowed you to build, what did you do with those relationships? He's going to ask all of us. We're all going to have to give an account. I want to be on mission. I want to be on mission. And that's my prayer for each and every one of you, is that we are on mission, knowing that there are people out there on the Titanic of life sinking. I'll end on this thought. You might be saying to yourself, well, I'm going to leave them to their own demise. You know what? I've tried talking to them. I've shared my faith with them and they still don't want to listen. Well, can I say something to you? This, this is real talk. This is family talk. 
for those in the overflow, for those who are watching online, that's not going to work with Jesus. Why? Because how many of us know that Jesus has never given up on us? So who are we to give up on them? He's never given up on us. He's never given up on me. And trust me, I have not dotted all the I's across the T's. I don't care how long I've been walking with him. And so we should never say, I'm going to give up on you. Stay on mission. Stay on mission. Individually, whatever space you're in, but corporately, we have to stay on mission and be about kingdom business. I pray, and as I get ready to pray, I pray for anyone who's in this building right now who came in here thought they were going to just hear a nice, fluffy, nice, encouraging word. And I pray that that word encourage you. But you came in here today and you don't know Jesus. Or you've been straddling the fence. One leg in, one leg out in the world. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Stop straddling the fence. Anything you're chasing out there in the world, it will never satisfy you. Even the smartest king of all, King Solomon said that we were all created with a void in our hearts that only God can fill. So whatever you're trying to find out there that you're going to, you, you know, and I'll close on this one. A late friend of mine's on his outgoing message had this. He said, try Jesus. If you don't like them, the devil will always take you back. That was on his outgoing voicemail message on his cell phone. Try Jesus. And if you don't like them, the devil will always take you back. I pray that no one will leave this building today who hasn't tried Jesus and think and saying to themselves, Mayana, I'll do it tomorrow. Because no one's promised tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Because you don't know what you're going to face when you walk out this door. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I pray for that individual that has heard the gospel message, who hasn't submitted and committed their lives to you. And they're still straddling the fence. They're still questioning. Lord, you're tugging at their hearts right now. Father, I know their hearts are warm to you. So, Father, I just pray, Lord, that not only a seed was planted, that it was watered, so that ultimately that you might get the increase. I pray, Lord, that after the service, they will come to the altar and begin to speak to the prayer group that's going to be around the altar and just begin to engage them, Lord. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, who have somehow become complacent in their walk with you and fulfilling the commission that you've placed on each and every one of our lives to go to the ends of the earth and preach the gospel and make disciples of men and women. I pray, Lord, that you would light a fire in all of us so that wherever we are, we would be sensitive to your leading 
that we might engage a culture, a world that is one big Titanic that's sinking. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the endless examples that you give us in your word. God, I pray, Lord, that we would be intentional and deliberate about fulfilling the mission that you've placed on each and every one of our lives. In Jesus, the Christ's name, I pray. Amen.